Go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free my brothers. Go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free my brothers. Go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free. Go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free. Go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free. Go free my brothers, go free my brothers, go free my brothers.
Listen to the truth.
the edge of the spiral of musicians, probe set cross-legged on a blue cloth, his soprano sax resting against his inner knee, his afro horn linking his ankles like a bridge. The afro horn was the newest axe to cut the dead wood of the world. But probe, since his return from exile, had chosen only special times to reveal the new sound. There were more rumors about it than there were ears and souls that had heard the horn speak. Probe's dark, full head tilted toward the vibrations of the music, as if the ring of sound from the six wailing pieces was tightening, creating a spiraling circle. The black audience, unaware at first of its collectiveness, had begun to move in a soundless rhythm, as if it were the tiny twitchings of an embryo. The waiters in the club fell against the wall. Shadows, dark pillars holding up the building and letting the free air purify the mind of the club. The drums took an oblique. Magua's hands, like the forked tongue of a dark snake, probed the skins, probed the whole belly of the coming circle. Beginning to close the circle, Haig's alto arc, rapid piano incisions, Billy's thin green flute arcs and tangents, Stace's examinations of his own trumpet discoveries all fell separately, yet together, into a blanket which Mojan had begun weaving on bass when the set began. The audience breathed, and Probe moved into the inner ranges of the sax. Outside the Sound Barrier Club, three white people were opening the door. Jan, tenor sax case in his hand, had his game all planned. He had blown with probes six years ago on the West Coast. He did not believe that there was anything to this new philosophy the musicians were talking about. He would talk to probe personally. He had known many Negro musicians, and theirs was no different from any other artist's struggles to be himself including his own. Things were happening so fast that there was no one who knew all directions at once. He did not mind Ron and Tasha coming along. They were two of the hippest ofes in town, and if anybody could break the circle of the sound club, it would be friends, and old friends of friends. Money, you've got lots of friends. Ron was bearded and scholarly, 
thick-set, shabbily dressed, but clean. He had tried to visit the club before, but all of his attempts had been futile. He almost carried the result of one attempt to court. He could not understand why the cats would want to bury themselves in Harlem and close the doors to the outside world. Ron's articles and reviews had helped many black musicians, but of all of them, Probe Adams had benefited the most. Since his graduation from Yale, Ron had knocked around the music world. Once he thought he wanted to sing blues. He had tried, but that was in college. The best compliment he ever got was from Mississippi John or Muddy Waters, one of the two, during a civil rights rally in Alabama. He had spontaneously leaped up during the rally and played from his soul. Muddy was in the audience and later told Ron, boy, you keep that up, you're going to put me back on the plantation. Ron was not fully satisfied that he had found the depth of the black man's psyche. In his book, he had said this, yet he knew that if he believed strongly enough, some of the old cats would break down. His sincerity was written all over his face. Holding Tasha's hand, he saw the door opening. Tasha was a shapely blonde who had dyed her hair black. It now matched her eyes. She was a Vassar girl and had once begun a biography of Oliver Fullerton. Excerpts had been published in Downbeat and she became noted as a critic and authority on the Fullerton movement. Fullerton's development as an important jazz trombonist had been interrupted soon after Tasha's article. No one knew why. Sometimes Tasha was afraid to think about it. If they had married, she knew that Oliver would have been able to continue making it. But he had gotten strung out on H. Sometimes she believed her friends who said Oliver was psychopathic. At least when he stopped beating her, she forgave him. And she did not believe it when he was really hooked. She still loved him. It was her own love, protected deep inside her, encased, her little black secret and her passport to the inner world that Oliver had died trying to enter. It would be only a matter of time. She would translate love into an honest appraisal of black music. I'm sorry, the tall brown doorman said. Sessions for brothers and sisters only. What's the matter, baby? Jan leaned his head in and looked around as if wondering what the man was talking about. I said, man, if you can't recognize a brother, you better let me have your job. He held up his case. We're friends of probe. The man called for assistance. Quickly, two men stepped out of the shadows. What's the trouble, brother? These people say they're friends of the probe. What people? Asked one of the men. He was neatly dressed, a clean-shaven head with large, darting eyes. He looked past the three newcomers. There was silence. Finally, as if it were some supreme effort, he looked at the three. I'm sorry, but for your own safety, we cannot allow you. Man, what are you talking about? Asked Jan, smiling quizzically. Are you blocking brothers now? I told him I'm blood. We friends of the probe. The three
three men at the door went into a huddle. Carl, the doorman, was skeptical, but he had seen some bloods that were pretty light. He looked at this cat again in his Kent and Raphael were debating whether or not to go get Probe's wife in the audience. He decided against the whole thing. He left the huddle and returned with a sign which said, we cannot allow non-brothers because of the danger involved with extensions. You ever try to get in after hours? We had a place called the Blue Note with a blue window and it had a note painted in the glass. <laughs> right, you could look through. <laughs> you remember that? The blue note. You know, you'd be checking, you know, looking through that peeled paint and shit. And they'd be getting down, you know. And you'd try, uh, hey, Curtis, you going in, bruh? Take me in with you, man. Jan looked at the sign and a smile crept across his face. In the street, a cop was passing and leaned in. Carl motioned the cop in. He wanted a witness to this. He knew what might happen, but he had never seen it. Jan shook his head at the sign, turning to Ron and Tasha. He was about to explain that he had seen the same sign on the West Coast. It was incredible that all the spades believed this thing about the recoil vibrations of the new sound. Shoving the sign in their faces as the cop, a big pimpled Irishman, moved through the group. All right, break it up, break it up. You got people outside want to come in. Kent and Raphael, seeing Carl's decision and the potential belligerence of the whites, folded their hands, Buddha-like. Carl stood with his back to the door now. Listen, officer, if these people go in, the responsibility is yours. The Irish cop, not knowing whether he should get angry over what he figured was reverse discrimination, smirked and made a path for the three. He would not go far inside because he didn't think the sounds were worth listening to. If it wasn't Harlem, he could see why these people would want to go in but he had never seen anything worthwhile from niggas in Harlem. Don't worry, you got a license, don't you? Let them go through, said Raphael suddenly. A peace seemed to gather over the faces of the three club members now. They folded their arms and went into the dark cavern which led to the music. In front of them walked the invaders. See, said Jan, if you press these cats, they'll cop out. They moved toward the music in an alien silence. Probe was deep into a rear action sax monologue. The whole circle now, like a bracelet of many colored lights, gyrated under Probe's wisdom. Probe was a thoughtful, full-headed black man with narrow eyes and a large nose. His lips swelled over the reed and each note fell into the circle like an acrobat on a tightrope stretched radially across the center of the universe. He heard the whistle of the wind. Three ghosts, like shaft blown from a wasteland, clung to the wall. He tightened the circle. Movement began from within it, shaking without breaking violence. He had to prepare the womb for the Afro horn. 
Its vibrations were beyond his mental frequencies unless he got deeper into motives. He sent out his call for motives. The blanket of the base rippled and the fierce wind and all their minds blew the blanket back and there set the city of Samson. The white pillars imposing, but how easy it is to tear the building down with motives. Here they come, probe, healed of his blindness, born anew of spirit, sealed his reed with pure air. He moved to the edge of the circle, rested his sacks, and lifted his axe. Thank you again for not applauding. You dig it? Now, we'll go on with what love? One, two, three. There are only three Afro horns in the world. They were forged from a rare metal found only in Africa and South America. No one knows who forged the horns, but the general opinion among musicologists is that it was the Egyptians. One European museum guards an Afro horn. The other is supposed to be somewhere on the west coast of Mexico, among a tribe of Indians. Probe grew into his from a black peddler who claimed to have traveled a thousand miles just to give it to his son. From that day on, Probe's sacks handled like a child, a child waiting for itself to grow out of itself. Inside the center of the gyrations is an atom stripped of time, black. The gathering of the hunters, deeper, coming, laced in the energy of the sun. He is blowing, Magua's hands, reverence of skin, under the single voices is the child of a woman, black. They are building back the wall, crumbling under the disturbance. In the rear of the room, Jan did not hear the vault, nor did he see the mystery behind Probe's first statement on the Afro horn. He had closed his eyes, trying to capture or elude the panthers of the music, but he had no eyes. He did not feel Ron slump against him. Strands of Tasha's hair were matted on a button of Ron's jacket, but she did not move when he slumped. Something was hitting them like waves, like shock waves. Before his mind went black, Jan recalled the feeling when his father had beat him for playing with a nigger. And later, he allowed the feeling to merge with his dislike of white people. When he fell, his case hit the floor and opened, revealing a shiny tenor saxophone that gleamed and vibrated in the freedom of freedom. Ron's sleep had been quick, like the rush of post-hypnotic suggestions. He dropped her hand, slumped, felt the wall give. No, it was the air. And he fell face forward across a table, his heart silent in respect for truer vibrations. The musicians stood. The horn and probe drew up the shadows now from the audience. A child climbed upon the cords of sound, growing out of the circle of the womb, searching with fingers and then with motive, 
And as the volume of the music increased, penetrating the thick callousness of the Irishman twirling his stick outside of black flesh, the musicians walked off one by one, linked to Probe's respectful nod at each and his quiet pronouncement of their names. He mopped his face with a blue cloth. What's the matter here? Step aside, folks. These people are unconscious. Look at their faces. They're dead. Dead? What happened? Dead? It's true then. It's true. We shall be riding dragons in those days. Black unicorns challenging the eagle. We shall shoot words with hooves that kick clouds. Fire eaters from the sun. We shall lay the high white dome to siege. Cover screens with holy wings. In those days, we shall be terrible. We shall be riding dragons in those days, black unicorns challenging the eagle. We shall shoot words with hooves that kick clouds, fire eaters from the sun. We shall lay the high white dome to siege, cover screams with holy wings. In those days, we shall be terrible.
なあなあなあはなあなあなあうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうんうん